Somehow the mind of individuality has to somehow mature, become more refined in order to really embrace or be immersed in the in the truth. The mind that is soaked in identity, personal identity, it really even the attraction for truth won't manifest in that environment. It has to be an acquired, slowly ripening openness, attraction. It won't just of course I cannot say absolutely absolutely not because one cannot say that. There have been cases, <laughs> many actually, <laughs> where it seems as though someone has outwardly shown no attraction for spirituality, for truth, and suddenly <laughs> it could be what you call a near death experience or something and completely the life is transformed the whole regime of thinking, the old mindset has gone. There's a complete change in temperament and character seems to change. They come into a state of illumined uh, consciousness. It can happen. But broadly speaking, no. It's a, it's a sort of... Uh, an acquired taste is just what came out like that to say it. One gradually <coughs> ripens to the point. Even in spirituality, amongst seekers who have been seeking for many years, there come. It's a bit of a love-hate relationship, or the feeling that I can only stay here for a while, and then something else will bring me out. You see. And who is this me who goes in, discovers the truth, and then gets distracted and is pulled out again? Who is that? What's the reality of that one, even? And time and again, I'm pointing out that that, that one uh, derives its sense of existence from the real, but it's a cocktail of being combined with identity and some kind of uh, personal programming or conditioning. So it is not pure. And because it is not pure, its world is not pure. It can make mighty vows, but it cannot keep them, because it is identified with the mind, and the mind is not steady. It wavers between <clears throat> thisness and thatness. Gradually, with continued uh, introspection, self-inquiry, surrender, yoga, whatever it is, refining that consciousness, through those types of sadhana or exercises or disciplines, it becomes more and more receptive, develops a taste for the self. But what I say is that even this one, who is developing a taste for the self, is not real. But to speak like this is a language that all understand, because everybody is identified with some with a personal identity. So it feels, yes, yes, I can identify with that. But ultimately, upon the state of, of realization or recognition of the self, that one is gone. It's not there. Someone asked, how, "How do I know? How can I be sure that I've really got it? That I've really reached there?" 
said, this question won't be there. Mm -hmm. This question won't be there. This question won't be there. Because presently we think that getting it is the biggest thing in the world. When it is recognized that oneself is that, it is not that it's ordinary, it's neither ordinary nor extraordinary. It is natural and it's pure. And such questions, such doubts just won't arise. So the very question, you know, how do I know? How can I be absolutely sure that I've got it? You'll never be sure you get it. As long as you are you, you'll never be sure about anything. You'll be sure momentarily, for five minutes, ten minutes, ten hours, but then that conviction will go. Because the very one who says, yes, I'm totally certain, is illusory and uh, has also delusions and illusions about reaching a state that it can maintain forever, which no such thing can happen. It is simply a non-reality. It is also consciousness, but consciousness identified with transience, with what is perishable, what is changeful. Gradually we are coming into seeing. So even sadhana means an acquired taste, because the self doesn't have to practice to be itself. If your name is George, you don't have to practice to be George. Maybe you have to practice when you were sort of like two years old, one and a half, and you first uh, what is your name? George. <laughs> what? George. No, it's George. George. You know that? And then gradually, George. Okay, then it's practice. But after you get it, you never lose it. <laughs> that was an acquired taste. And uh, same thing. And it was like the story that Papaji told, and I have shared not long ago, about a group of fisherwomen walked to the sea because the fishermen were coming in a certain time in the afternoon, late afternoon. And three fisherwomen, they went there, they collected all the fishes from the fishermen from the boats and are now walking back through the forest to go home. And while they were walking through the forest, the sky changed, the clouds got very heavy and dark. Lightning flashed, and thunder <laughs> come rain. They start to run, 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 run. Lightning and rain, bad combination, and fish. <laughs> so they're running, and then there's a little hut that they have to pass in the forest. And the person who lived in this hut was a florist. And she see the woman running with the baskets on their head running. And she called them, hey, 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 come, 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 come out of the rain. It's dangerous. So they all headed for a hut and they landed on the veranda. And she says, oh, please put your baskets down. You know, the rain is not going to ease up for a good few hours. Maybe better you stay here tonight. You know, it's dangerous. So they all agreed. And then somehow she brought them inside off the veranda. You can sleep in this room. And in this room is full of flowers, lavender, roses, jasmine, honeysuckle. All these flowers are there. The fishwoman went down, they tried to sleep, but they could not, not one of them could sleep. They were very disturbed. In the end, one of them got up and the other one, what are you going? She says, I can't sleep in this place. The smell is horrible. She says, yes, me too, I can't say it's a horrible smell. 
Yeah, the one one was trying to sleep. She says, okay, you don't go out. I will go. She went outside. She got one of the fish baskets and she put it under the rain, shook it under the rain, hmm? brought it into the flower room, put it by their heads and all of them slept like babies. <laughs> they could not appreciate the smell of lavender, which helps you to sleep, they say, <laughs> and roses, which empty your mind and all of this. They could not, oh my God, what horrible smell. Because what turned on their senses was fish, wet, slimy fish. Yeah, that was what they are accustomed to. So until they could get that, just like the same way, you feel nervous, you have a smoke. The thing actually makes you more nervous, but psychologically it makes you more calm. So I don't know which is the effect. But they felt like this. You know, they got the fish and they went to sleep, which is the thing they wanted to do. So it worked. But the point is. They could not appreciate nature's smell of roses and lavender and honeysuckle, jasmine. Mm. None of this they could appreciate. It was horrible for them. For some people, the truth is horrible. Naked. Oh. Bad taste. <laughs> you see? Mm. And we're accustomed to to the really our own projections, our own fantasies and so on. Because we are accustomed to that, with its ups and downness, it is familiar territory for us. So this was why I was saying that not because a thing is right or wrong determines whether we leave it alone or not. It's not that. We like to think like that. And when you feel that you are at a disadvantage or something like that, you will say to other people, that's not true. That's not true. You're telling a lie. But we're living in lies all the time. Until we are caught out, we just carry on. It's not whether the thing is true or not true, but it's to the extent to which you are attached to the thing that determines whether you continue with it or not, for a while. That is. So that was what my meaning when I say that truth has to become an acquired taste. This is a whole game and a movement of spirituality, a gradual turning of the head back towards the heart. Of recognizing and honoring the truth uh, of ourself, what I call true self-respect, is this. It takes a while. Like you say, I know, I know, I know, but I can't stay there. It's not about staying there. It's um, I've had experiences where just this deep knowing that I am that. It's not mental. It's intuitive. Mm. One was in satsang, and I could almost feel like we were one. It was beautiful. And I could see, I wasn't trying to hang on to anything, I was just noticing it. And so that was my question was, so there must be some something that's unconscious that's attracted, like you say, to the fish, rather, even though that knowing's there, it's still mm. attracted to the fish. Mm. What is happening in the environment of uh, the satsang is that we are, if you want to say learning or getting accustomed, or even unconsciously slipping out of the I-me. When the I-me is not present, everything is harmony. There isn't even a feeling that, yeah, I'm really sort of becoming more harmonious. We may say that. 
but it's not anything that we're doing it's just the state where wherein the presiding deity is not i me when that i me sense uh, has moved away what remains you may say is i am or i i or something like this mm-hmm. just pure presence i me is not pure presence it is a presence but it's not pure it's carrying a lot of information a lot of tendencies lots of preferences lots of identity attachments hopes aspirations dreams imagination all of that makes up the i me this is this is why sri ramana maharshi he says the i removes the i yet remains the i the i i or the i am which is not personal which has grown this appendage i me is freed from the identification as i me and still rest as i i this is what we are saying that uh, it is being in that environment which is not fixated upon being a person proving oneself being more 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 or whatever but just the the slipping away from identity see normally what happens is that we as consciousness have become so habituated to identifying with being a person and the person occasionally ha- drops into non-person like a flash and in that moment is non-personal being impersonal being and is in a natural state of harmony and joy the sage on the other hand is normally in this state but occasionally have flashes of identity <laughs> one has got a lot of identity and flash of non-identity and oh and then say and then and the sage has no identity but occasionally a flash of identity and say wow what's happening to me and, uh, and then it's gone awesome all the teachers talk about yourself and many others that i honor um about a point where it all just dissolves it's like some teachers talk about we're all going towards a cliff once we get to a cliff that's it Would you say that that's once you're over that cliff, identity's gone. Then the, that's we become the sage state, where identity just flashes in once in a while. Mm. The one that that statement would refer to would be the egoic consciousness that we are heading towards something. Mm. Because for the pure consciousness, it just means nothing at all. It's not heading anywhere at all. Heading somewhere is just another idea. In it, it doesn't have the force, the potency, as when it is believed in the identified mind, gives it a tremendous amount of force and belief. Yes, yes. When I come to the edge, I'm at the edge. I'm at the edge. What should I do now? What should I push? Oh, oh. <laughs> it's not the pure self that has that experience. <laughs> that we call an experience. So, 
even to say that you know we're all heading like this then you see it is already re referring to us mm -hmm. as though we are the eagle i would prefer not to refer we we are doing it enough by ourselves <laughs> believing that we are the eagle so if i say yes guys what's happening to us is this like this and i'm referring to you as eagle then mm -hmm. i'm also strengthening your identity to some extent and telling you what you must do to come out of the ego, I'd rather say, but you're not that, which is the truth. And we're believing we are this. And so by believing that, it like it becomes like a kind of virtual self. You're believing you are this you're you're a projection like that. Now I know that in the world of egohood, it seems completely natural to be the ego. We don't call it ego, we call it John or Susan or something like this. And the whole idea of the ego is that the ego is boastful and hey, look at me, you know, I'm really done this. But ego does not necessarily that's only one small expression of ego. Ego can be very, you know, cute mm. and sort of humble and says things like like no, 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 I'm, I'm nowhere as good as you. Come on, come on, I'm not, you know. And that sounds like, wow, this person is so modest. But sometimes they've got terrible ego is behind that so-called modesty. Because there's still I. And it, the I just plays being really modest and like, no, 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 no. No, no, don't put, don't put the light on me. No, no, I can't stand it. No, I don't want to be photographed and all. And it's still I, I, I still so special. <laughs> Trying to be not special, you see. So it's it's not that cute. It tries to be super humble, really super ego, also. So what is referred to as a state, or the stage of sainthood, but it's still words, is simply that which is doesn't it doesn't you cannot make a big deal about anything like this, because. There are no comparisons in it. It doesn't have good days or bad days. It doesn't have days when it remembers itself or forgets itself. It doesn't feel it is holy or unholy. Because that is still dipping in the ocean of duality and comparison and interrelated opposites to get some kind of reading, which cannot be true for awareness itself. And I'm constantly pointing to see if we're really on the same page when I say like this. Are we in direct recognition of the words you're hearing that points you says, you are no thing, or no state, or no, no temperature, or any quality? Not out of all, all the all these are bad, and the world is a bad place, and not a judgment, just a clear, clean, sober seeing. And it's not a, a seeing that is constantly beating the drum of seeing. I'm seeing nothing, and there's only pure seeing. There's nobody here seeing. It's not the tune we're playing. And there never was anybody here seeing. There never will be anybody seeing. There will be nobody seeing. <laughs>
It's not that. Just in a sort of what I call recognition, which is not an event in consciousness. It's a natural knowing without a, a knower of the knowing. Even knowing, I am a bit cautious to say like this, but like the light of consciousness switches on in what is called a waking state. All the activities arise in front of the I, who is the gate to all activities, or the aperture through which something perceives this manifest world in its dance as existence or something. And it is going on inside its body, it is moving also. Oh yes, I was called. Let's see, speak to Jairam this morning. What are we doing? What time? Eleven o'clock and so on. All of this is happening, like that. Hmm? In that space of being, which doesn't quite forget or remember itself, it's just always present, just like space is always present. Like we're sitting here dancing or whatever or, or or talking or something and we say, you know, there's just I have no space. There's just no space. There's no space in my life. And I say, but even to say that is space. You need space to move your tongue. It's still space. To say there's no space is still arising in space. To say, oh, you know, my awareness comes and goes, and if it's gone, where's the speaking, and where's the power to perceive speaking? This is what I I mean by missing the obvious, and really rather silly that we say that, but it's not a judgment in that. It just has to be pointed out to help to break this kind of habit of beating this sad drum. It says, you know, oh yeah, but I don't know if I'm ever gonna get it. I tried, man. It's come a time when what you speak cannot injure you. <laughs> like what's spoken cannot injure you because it's just it's just some a, a bubble in the manifest ocean. And something is not looking, oh, did I say the right thing? And oh yeah. Yes, okay, of course, that also can be said or felt, but it's so momentary. It cannot live, you know. Like you blow a bubble, it cannot live. It cannot live for very long. It floats off and it's gone. The thoughts in the pure mind are like that. They cannot live. You can assure them tomorrow or in one hour. Keep this bubble going. This just won't. That's what I notice in satsang. Is it's like the lights really. It's almost like a bug light. The thoughts come. They hit the bug light. Yeah. So fast, and the, and the thoughts are very. So the very same thought, when there must be more identification, that has a sharpness to it. The exact same thought or story mm. Mm. has no emotional or physical connection reaction. or yeah. None. <clears throat> mm. That's exactly that. You hear all the stories. We have an idea that there's no life without thought. There's something inside of this. There's no life without thought or identity. What is he talking about? You know? Because I love thinking. 
is the most available and cheap form of entertainment. <laughs> think I can think as much as I want. How to transcend? Why you want to transcend thinking? I mean, you know, what would you do if you weren't thinking? <laughs> People say this, and some, I'm very happy when they say it because it is a kind of honesty. I, I really want to stop thinking. No, you don't. Only when it hurts. Okay, and then after a little bit, you start thinking. You start to think, oh, that's boring. <sighs> Chocolates. Oh, yeah. I like the round ones, maybe heart shaped one. You don't have to do that. Is that dangerous? To whom? To to the consciousness that is habituated to keeping this type of static state going. It does create a kind of like a hum inside the head. Like if you lived in a house, I used to live in an apartment with my sister, where we had to put money in for the electricity. Sometimes run out of money, so we experience a house with no hum. Now some people never know this. You never experience your house without a hum, because even if nothing is turned on. The walls are humming. There's a buzz. And most people probably don't know this because you never you don't have meters in your house. But we had a meter, and when it runs out, the least change it takes is twenty pence, or something like this. In fact, it wasn't. It was fifty, fifty p, fifty p, but just a little bit under a dollar or something. Then you put your fifty p in, and you get like maybe two hours and fifteen minutes of electricity or whatever. I don't know what it was. Depending if you're burning the heat or not, and when the 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 money runs out, that was one of the best things about being broke. Place it in the forest, <laughs> concrete forest. <laughs> it goes completely. There is such a difference when a house has no hum. And for most people, this house always has a hum. It's not a om. It's not a om. It's a It's a different, no? Okay, it is there, but we're so accustomed to that, you don't notice it actually. And thought, constant thought, activity, and identity creates this type of. It's like you can't rest. It's a kind of. It becomes a sort of disturbance, but we're not so conscious of it. Maybe that little bit something happened. Being aware of the self cuts that completely. Like it makes it insignificant, or what? I don't know what what it does. I don't want to spell it out or so. Your consciousness is not a shopping bag anymore. Your mind is not a shopping bag. You have nowhere to put thoughts. Got no pockets where thoughts can fit, so they can only be momentary. They can't endure. They can't live. <clears throat> yes. I say this only to remind that this is our natural state. Is like this. It's not the way that sometimes we imagine that there's no thoughts. It can happen. When there's actually no thoughts 
even foolish ones, even petty, even harmless ones can manifest. Sometimes you will experience like this, and you try to think, and you can't just can't think. <laughs> just cannot think. There are states that happen for a while like that. You just cannot think. And rather than relaxing somehow and being enjoy your merging or something, some little kind of agitation is felt, and we don't see that that is also just kind of like kind of thought sensation or something. But generally, when that happens, you can't think. At some point, something relaxes into that and sees the infiniteness of this. Where I speak about this now is not that you cannot think in this kind of cold, objective sense. It just means that thought, whether whether you are thinking or not, they don't have a grip on you. Do we follow what I am saying? Like that? Mm-hmm. In the news of my reading newspapers, send an email, but nothing lives inside you. It can't stay. While you're with it, it's kind of momentary going on. Are you remembering the self? There's no such thing as remembering the self. You are the self. If you had to send your email and remember the self, it's kind of it's still the same one doing both. But to be, there's nobody being. So therefore, there's no effort. So sending an email, answering the phone, everything just seems like it's just the dance of the manifest is taking place. I'm saying this because I'm saying this. Mm-hmm. On my own, I'm not thinking this. Why should any of this be interesting or important? Um, because we are suffering our minds. If you genuinely been removed, so to speak, meaning that your identity has been removed. Will you have this experience? I am the same one who is in the trees and the clouds and so on. For very long, will you have this sense? This sense? So people say like this, you know, yeah, I feel like I am the same one in the stars and on the earth, and I am the same in a fish or just a seed or something. I am the same energy in them. Yeah, peanuts. Peanuts. Don't go on about it. Maybe a flash of something, because there's something so obvious and innocent in that. But if you go on a little bit too much, you start to be a demonstrator. Like you know, this man. You know, I'm the same one in the, in the seeds. You know, I'm just a sort of chickpea with a human body, or whatever it is you want to talk about. Then, if you're going on a bit too long, it means that somehow you're on a trip. But if you see it for a flash, that there is just the same one occupant, resident, in all the expression like this, well, then that's a very sweet seeing. But gradually, your seeing don't want to see an elephant, and a cat, and a tree, and a flower, and 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 becomes tiring. 
<laughs> we go to keep seeing a tree. What is the distinction? A tree and a cat, and it's a distinction. It's you know, it's like everything cooks down into this soup of sensations, pure sensation. But your attention is not landing on any particular name and form. It's almost as though how you look when you're driving a car in a very in Alentejo. Okay? And this is this big panoramic expanse. And what are you focusing on? Well, nothing in particular. Whatever show up in the windscreen, birds flying across the road, trees passing and stuff. What are you what are you tuning in on? You're just in a state of sort of presence, alert presence. You're not shopping for anything. Scenes are going by. Where are you at? You're just here. It's in hereness. Everything is perceived, but nothing is counted, nothing is bought, nothing is put in the pocket. And something is just up here not to be moving. But and you what? You're just you're kind of like the space inside them. But you don't care to name the trees and the butterflies and the, you know, and that that cloud. Look at the moon. Oh, it's so mystical. No, not this. You don't see none of this. All of it refines itself into pure being, humming to itself somehow in itself. It's like somehow something has just plugged you in to a little, a little current, a little some electrodes being fed by God current. And you're just very happy. Not seeing trees and butterflies. <laughs> you're not even seeing you. <laughs> Who is home when you are not? <laughs> <laughs> this is the one who lives in this house. That's the one that lives in this house, in all the houses. The landlord is a tenant in his own being. Here, call me, who is trying to to share that with you. <laughs> Because the words that seem to arise, they kind of have a potency, but they're all still just emptiness. It's like it's the perfume of the only one who belongs to be here. But they are squatters. <laughs> Something is squatting inside there. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't take care of the house at all. He has no shrine here. <laughs> this body's a pub for that one. It's amazing somehow that this, the, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm referring to as the self, which I'm calling it that, the self, um, appears to think it is very important 
that itself in the form of otherness should get it and is really working for that. Sometimes it refers to that as we know it's very urgent that you get it. But one way you can say it, it that only lives in the play. That only has some meaning in the play of transcending and seeking and it just ha- it only has some meaning there. Like it's really urgent that humanity really hears this and follow this because you know we're heading for the waterfall and one people say you know but how can you or how can you, you know, anybody who who really understands this you know it's it's, it's time and it's, it's 2012 man <laughs> you know come on you know we've got to turn around and do something and I'm saying actually I don't take any of that seriously at all yet. Any moment that one comes and says, "Can I, can I talk to you about this thing here?" <sighs> I don't even have, to, even have time to change my pajamas. I'm there. I'm listening with you. <laughs> See if you really have something to say. It is true. It's like something. It's not even a thought. It's not a decision. It just feels like this. You say, "Is it really important?" Kind of like yes and no. I don't know. Is it more important than sitting and watching TV? Yes. It's more important than that. <laughs> and my memory is not so far away that I've forgotten how it was to 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 be in a mind state where you really believe things are the way you perceive them to be. And it seems as long as this body is around and the life current is there and the breath is there somehow, you can never say never in one way. No? Because it appears here that in the various ways that mind still arises in some form that can create some stirrings inside its body, and they do happen, I have to say. That something seems somehow present in a kind of knowing that that is just a movement in consciousness, which there has to be, as long as the vital breath is inside its body, there will be some movement of consciousness, there will be some movement, there will be some mosquitoes, there will be some something, there will be something maybe nasty sometime or whatever, but it's still nothing. And at the same time, hearing someone say to Papaji, Papaji, do you yourself have to be vigilant even now? And him saying, to my very last breath. You understand? And knowing what that means in that moment, and also knowing. That also is not true. How one how one reconciles all of this, that you can, I can listen to my master say something like this, and find space in that to say, yeah, beautiful. And it's also not true. 
Are you challenging your master's words? He's not in those words. His breath is in it, because it's also a way that consciousness expresses, but he's not limited in that. Next morning, we're just saying, you know, what do you talk about forgetting yourself? That's complete nonsense, or whatever. And there was a time for for myself, I have to say, maybe that's why I'm talking so much about it. So, when after I moved away from this church group that I started mm. sitting with, and just I had to leave this place. And for a while, I was walking very often on my own. In the nights, I would find myself going out, which was very out of character for me, I have to say. I'd spend so much um, time alone, not having anybody really to talk with. I was wishing I could meet someone like how I am with you now, to ask questions to, because I could not go to people in the church and ask them. Because I knew their answers. It was just too fixed. It was just too in a groove. But questions were arising in me that their voices could not silence, could not bring contentment to that. I was encountering beings just casually on the street sometime who would just completely blow your socks off with something or others. I always gave the praise to to God because I knew that was the single eye was that was with me all the time, appearing through this one and that one. But the single one that was the constant presence somehow, that always fed you what you needed. Somehow, not when you think you need it. Some unusual characters come, but they say things to you that you would never hear in a church. And it was just the kind of thing. It's like finding a combination and opening a door. That's how it felt. Mm-hmm.